Today I have Michael Chen, who is in the Department of Neurosurgery at Rush Medical College. Michael is the corresponding author on an Editor's Choice article that is slated to be published in the February 2016 issue of JNIS. The article is entitled, Critical Assessment of the Morbidity Associated with Ruptured Cerebral Arterial Venous Malformations. Michael, thanks for agreeing to talk to me today. So what, what induced you to undertake this study? Well, thank you, Rob, for the invitation to participate in this uh, podcast. I've been a very avid listener, and it's been—it's really nice to have this opportunity. Uh, I'd also like to first recognize Monica Majumdar and Lee Tan for their very valuable contribution to both the data collection and analysis for the study. But to answer your question, the reason why we undertook this study really stems from the considerable controversy that resulted after publication of the Aruba study, which I'm quite sure JNIS uh, readers and uh, listeners are familiar with. Because of the primary conclusion that medical management alone was superior to interventional therapy for the prevention of death or stroke in patients with unruptured brain AVMs, many physicians have adopted since then a conservative approach. Additional support for this approach stems from other publications, also largely from Columbia, uh, showing that the morbidity even after AVM rupture was not as high as was previously assumed. Um, And after being in practice for several years, this notion that AVM rupture morbidity was benign was really incongruent with what I was seeing in clinical practice. Mm -hmm. Most busy centers, I think, see ruptured AVMs probably a tenth of the frequency as they see from their total yearly volume of ruptured brain aneurysms. So Mm -hmm. I think it's difficult to rely just on anecdotal uh, thoughts, and I thought it was important for us not only to systematically study a cohort of ruptured brain AVM patients over several years here at Rush, but also do it in a more detailed fashion than what was ever done before. I think these okay. findings, you know, could have potentially important implications that can challenge not only our prevailing wisdom regarding AVM natural history, but probably more importantly, help better inform physicians to take better care of our patients. Can you talk to me a, uh, a little bit about the design of your study, how it was set up? Sure. It was a fairly straightforward retrospective medical chart review of all patients admitted to rush with an ICD-9 code of 747.81. Uh, we excluded those with dural arteriovenous fistulas, cavernous malformations, and developmental venous anomalies, as well as those who had been previously treated or who had prior rupture, which left us with about 51 subjects with incident AVM rupture. And then we looked at several radiographic variables, 40 in total, in you know highlighting the hemorrhage location, whether it was parenchymal, intraventricular, or subarachnoid. We also evaluated if there was midline shift, some catheter angiographic findings. And with regards to the clinical measures, we were particularly interested in whether there was emergent hematoma evacuation within 24 hours of admission, as well as the usual more conventionally acquired NI stroke scales on admission, as well as modified Rankin at follow-up. We really wanted to collect a variety of data points weighed heavily towards those that was characterized, you know, during the admission of the brain AVM and make it independent as much as possible from the effects of embolization or surgery. So in all of this, we just tried to create a nice, more comprehensive clinical profile 
of AVM rupture morbidity. Yeah, it sounds like quite an extensive analysis. Can you summarize the results for uh, me and the listeners? Sure. The results, we were able to evaluate 51 subjects over about four years. The average age was 45. Almost all of the hemorrhages involved the brain parenchyma. Um, hardly any of them were exclusively in just a subarachnoid or intraventricular space. Our main outcome measure was really the admission NIH stroke scale, and we tried to simplify the analysis of this by breaking it down into three categories. One was the NIH stroke scale of zero. The second category was between one and nine single digits. And the third category was 10 or greater. And what we found in terms of the, the profile was our admission NIH stroke scales were 22, 24, and 55% for those three categories. Now, okay. to put that into context, previous reports had uh, NI stroke skills on admission within those three categories of 47, 52, and 2%. Other, I think, meaningful pieces of information were we found 41% of our patients had midline shift, and 43% underwent emergent hematoma evacuation within the first 24 hours. Um, we did have some important follow-up information, their follow-up modified Rankin being independent was 55% in our cohort versus 72 to 95% in previously published studies. Hmm. No prior studies demonstrated any mortality whereby we had an 8% mortality. So I guess in summary, our morbidity associated with AVM rupture shows that it's not so benign, which I think has other important implications that I'd be happy to talk about later too. Do you have an explanation of uh, why in your cohort, you know, the initial morbidity and, and then also the mortality was greater than some previously um, published series? Yes, this really was the essence of our study. We wanted to report what we personally observed, which was seemed very different from what was published. I think mm -hmm. one difference perhaps was that the average age of our subjects evaluated was about a decade older than a previously published cohort, but it still was only uh, an average age of 45, so not that old. But mm -hmm. one other difference that may explain this was that these studies were published in the 1990s, and I think the data collection methods largely revolved around trying to infer NIH stroke scales from handwritten charts, uh, whereas these days a lot more of our documentation is protocolized and available electronically and more, much more explicit. So I think you know, there may be a bias towards under-reporting uh, mm -hmm. different types of symptoms and findings, which may underestimate what they reported. But nevertheless, I think it's probably not as important to say who's right or who's wrong here, but I think just mm -hmm. to add additional, hopefully um, more information to hopefully give us a more accurate understanding of what AVM uh, rupture morbidity is all about. Okay. I found it interesting that, you know, in your cohort, there was a, seemed to be an inverse relationship between um, deep venous drainage and clinical morbidity. Certainly, deep venous drainage is thought to uh, be a potential factor in increasing the, the, the risk of hemorrhage, but at least in your series, it seemed to have less morbidity. Do you have any theory to why, why that might have been found? I think that this, for this particular relationship, it was more so uh, a trend. I think our sample size is likely okay. too small to uh, draw too strong of a conclusion, but I think you bring up such an important point that I think what would be helpful for future studies, particularly if we get larger sample sizes, is to try and identify 
anatomic features such as deep venous drainage or uh, AVM size or location or proximity to the ventricles that may be associated not just with rupture risk, but with higher morbidity rupture versus benign patterns of rupture. And I think that may have, uh, you know, very important implications down the road. Okay. So as you mentioned, you know, in your series, the, the initial morbidity seemed to be higher than other previous series. What about the, uh, you guys also looked at intermediate outcome of patients. Any information that you got from that? Yes, as one would expect, I think this one, this particular outcome measure potentially could be influenced by the effects of the treatment, surgery, or intervention. But nevertheless, uh-huh. we still found that only 55% of our uh, 47 surviving ruptured AVM patients were independent. And this was on an average about six months out from their admission. Whereas the Columbia studies or other studies that publish on this topic showed 70 mm-hmm. to 95% of those were independent at, you know, office follow-up three to six months out. So I think it's still the severity of the morbidity on admission likely carries through towards the outcomes. But yeah, those were what we found. And and then uh, you mentioned early on the Aruba trial. How how would you place your study in the context of, of the Aruba trial findings? Sure. I think the results of our study may serve to slightly clarify one of the many important variables in the decision-making process on how to go about managing an unruptured AVM patient, much like what the Aruba study was designed for. I think, uh, of course, if our findings were such that the AVM hemorrhages were basically benign, there'd be very little reason to consider any type of interventional treatment uh, for patients, for AVMs that haven't ruptured. Our Mm -hmm. findings, though, do suggest that with AVM rupture, as most of us would probably agree upon, is not entirely benign, but certainly can lead to morbidity and death. And I think this variability highlights an important trend that we kind of see again and again in recent cerebrovascular studies, whereas it's likely premature to overgeneralize a conservative approach based on this type of study, which is fairly heterogeneous. I think what our study hopefully highlights is that there is a subgroup of patients that may have a higher morbidity with rupture, and it is likely this group that may be worthwhile to better understand and and potentially offer a preventative treatment. Well, that makes sense. Has the results of your study changed clinical practice at your institution at all? It hasn't directly influenced our current approach for decision-making, but I, I think it certainly has provided momentum for additional clinical studies and research. What do you see as avenues for future research uh, concerning this topic? Well, I think, first of all, our sample size, I think, to be more meaningful has got to be higher. And we've actually Mm -hmm. already been able to collaborate with a couple other academic medical centers, and we currently have our sample size over 100. And the results are very, very, very interesting. And I think this type of outcomes-based research, particularly with regards to natural history, is is so important and important. helpful to our field, however challenging it is. But I think, honestly, the most fascinating aspect of the study to me is to add an additional layer of understanding of brain AVM pathophysiology. That's different than how many would view this from the surface to be similar to ruptured brain aneurysms. I think one key anatomic difference is that ruptured brain aneurysms exist around the circle of Willis in the subarachnoid space, and as a result, the associated morbidity may or be rather consistent from an anatomic perspective, but 
AVMs have so much more variability in terms of size and location, vascular involvement with regards to either the venous drainage or arterial supply. And as a result, they may very well be those that rupture into pre-existing spaces such as the ventricles or into eloquent brain, which can give you a direct effect on determining a whole wide range of morbidity severity. And so th I think this study has certainly given us interest in studying like the question you asked earlier with regards to association of deep venous drainage, but to look at what anatomic features may be associated mm -hmm. with increasing rupture morbidity and may ultimately, you know, hopefully we can use that, the neurointerventionalists can use that when they're asked to consult on the next patient with an unruptured brain AVM. Well, Michael, thank you very much for speaking with me today. This is certainly fantastic work, and I look forward to seeing uh, more of your work in the future. Thank you so much, Rob. Appreciate it.